Welcome to the One Climbs Podcast, a show about exploring life through the lens of theology, scripture, symbolism, and ideas that uplift the human mind. So another Easter has come and gone, but during this time of the year, there are so many different things to ponder and think about in reference to the gospel, the life and mission of Jesus Christ. So there's so many things that you could possibly cover, right, and and talk about. But the one that I just wanted to share a little bit about were my thoughts on one of the things that Jesus says while he's up on the cross. It's very interesting to think about. It's haunting in some ways. It's profound in others, but here he is, he's on the cross and he cries out with a loud voice. It says, this is Mark 15, 34. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you can imagine people standing around what they must have been thinking. The modern reader, we read that we see Jesus and all of the great things that he has done. And in this moment, he's saying, why have, why have you forsaken me, God? And there've been a lot of people comment about what was happening there at that time and what may have been going through his head and that God withdrew his presence from him and all these different things. But if you look at that phrase, that specific phrase, the exact words that he speaks there seem like they're derived from Psalms 22, where we have the same phrase starting off in verse one, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so what I want to do is go through, this is a little bit of a different translation. This is the contemporary English version. I may be used to the King James, but I think I really like this translation sometimes for some things. I like other translations for other things, but uh, I thought this one was pretty good. But in this translation, it says, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? And here's the thing. If Jesus is referencing this Psalm while up on the cross and he's going to those words, and and if you just look at those words by themselves, you see Jesus crying out that he's been forsaken by God. Why have you forsaken me? Right. But if we read the whole context of Psalm 22, Jesus knew the scriptures, obviously, and And so you'd have to think that if he is indeed quoting Psalm 22, which I believe he was, it's a Psalm by David and he's referencing this. He's also referencing the entire context of the Psalm as well. And that quote by itself, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Sounds pretty hopeless and depressing when, when you picture him hanging on the cross, but let's go in and I just want to read Psalm 22 because I think it's fantastic. And there are many things in here that I think Jesus is noticing as he looks around and sees all the different things happening around him at this time. He's seeing the fulfillment of those things happening in real time. And Psalm 22, one starts out saying, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Why are you so far away? Won't you listen to my groans and come to my rescue? I cry out day and night, but you don't answer and I can never rest. 
And then here's where we get the contrast. And a lot of Psalms will do this where it'll portray this yearning of the soul. It'll get really deep down into the emotion of feeling betrayed, feeling left alone, depressed, crushed, all of the bad things that happen in life. But then it flips back around and it contrasts it with a positive outlook. So we have this negative, a crying out and you don't answer and I can never rest. Verse three, yet you are the holy God. I like that yet. This is, that's the flip there. You are the holy God ruling from your throne and praised by Israel. Our ancestors trusted you and you rescued them. When they cried out for help, you saved them. And you did not let them down when they depended upon you. But I am merely a worm, far less than human, and hated and rejected by people everywhere. And clearly, you know, just a few days before, Jesus was walking into town on the back of a donkey, or he was <laughs> riding into town on the back of a donkey, and all these people were putting palm leaves down and celebrating him. But now where are all those people? Where is everyone? Where are all these throngs of people, the thousands that he fed with loaves and fishes? Where are they now? says, I'm hated and rejected by people everywhere. Everyone who sees me makes fun and sneers. They shake their heads and say, trust the Lord. If you are his favorite, let him protect you and keep you safe. And that was interesting because people, while he was on the cross, they were reviling him and, and saying, if you're the son of God, let God take, take you down from the cross and show us that you are the Messiah and the son of God. And so here we see some of that, that sneering and some of these things are being literally fulfilled as he's looking around and, and the next verse says, you Lord brought me safely through birth. You protected me when I was a baby at my mother's breast from the day I was born, I've been in your care. And from the time of my birth, you have been my God. Don't stay far off when I'm in trouble with no one to help me. Enemies are all around like a herd of wild bulls, powerful bulls from Bashan are everywhere. My enemies are like lions roaring and attacking with jaws open wide. I have no more strength than a few drops of water. My bones are all out of joint. My heart is like melted wax. That kind of reminds me of that scene in the passion of the Christ where they're trying to stretch Jesus's arms to get them to where they have these holes that are already in the cross and they're yanking on his arm and pull it out of joint to try to get there. I think that was a reference to that. That was done by the filmmakers. My heart is like melted wax. And I remember reading some articles about whenever a human is undergoing any kind of trauma, traumatic, stressful situations, they can develop fluid around their heart. And some people theorize that's what happened with Jesus when they, when they speared him in the side that that water that came out with the blood was maybe some of that fluid that had built up. And so where he says, my heart is melted, like is melted wax here. My strength is dried up like a broken clay pot. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That reminds me of when Jesus said, I thirst you God have left me to die in the dirt. Brutal enemies attack me like a pack of dogs tearing at my hands and my feet. And they crucified him by putting nails in his hands and feet. I can count all my bones. The prophecies say that his bones will not be broken. And my enemies just stare and sneer at me. 
And they took my clothes and gambled for them, which happened to Jesus. They cast lots for his robe. Verse 19, don't stay far away, Lord. My strength comes to you, comes from you. So hurry and help rescue me from enemy swords and save me from those dogs. Don't let lions eat me. You rescued me from the horns of wild bulls. And when your people meet, I will praise you, Lord. All who worship the Lord now praise him. You belong to Jacob's family and to the people of Israel. So fear and honor the Lord. The Lord doesn't hate or despise the helpless and all of their troubles. When I cried out, he listened and did not turn away. And when your people meet, you will fill my heart with your praises, Lord. And everyone will see me keep my promises to you. The poor will eat and be full. All who worship you will be thankful and live in hope. Everyone on this earth will remember you, Lord. People all over the world will turn and worship you because you are in control, the ruler of all nations. And that really hits hard. Here you have somebody hanging on the cross. You remember when Jesus told Pilate, he said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And that's what that reminds me of there. You are in control, the ruler of all nations. So even though he has been wrongfully killed and has had this punishment inflicted upon him, he's still acknowledging God as the, the one in control, the ruler of all nations. It's a powerful thing from the vantage point of where he was to still acknowledge this. And all who are rich and have more than enough will bow down to you, Lord. Even those who are dying and almost in the grave will come and bow down. In the future, everyone will worship and learn about you, our Lord. People not yet born will be told, the Lord has saved us. And how true that is. Absolutely. And as Psalm 23 follows, the Lord is our shepherd, shall not want. So interesting, Jesus on the cross turning to the words of David and in looking around him, perhaps everything he's seeing, all of these things happening are drawing his minds to the scriptures where he's finding strength and, and referencing these words. And perhaps those who heard him say this, maybe got caught that as well. I think, a line such as that, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? would have caused many to probably think back to that psalm that many of them may have had memorized and looked around them and saw all these things happening, perhaps even realizing what was going on. Or maybe even some people in, in trying to mock Jesus after saying that, decided to maybe gamble for his clothes in a way of mocking him and as to what he was saying, potentially. Yeah, it's not too clear what's happening there, but I just think it's really cool to ponder that connection. And the scriptures are just full of these types of connections. Jesus and what he said, how he taught, even in this situation where he's in excruciating pain. you know. And I think it was merciful that he's only on the cross for a couple hours. And usually it takes several days for people to die. But I think one of the clues there was perhaps his heart and and maybe the the stress of the the scourging 
and everything that happened to him up to that point had broken him down sufficiently where he just he couldn't survive on the cross for very long. He was already he was already mostly dead when they nailed him to that cross. He couldn't even carry it. Now, this is a carpenter carrying a cross. Now, I, I don't know if it was like the Passion of the Christ where it was like a full cross that he's carrying or it's just a beam of wood, but he did carry something up to the hill, but he wasn't able to do it and it had to be done for him. I think that's significant that somebody who was a carpenter who was strong was beaten so badly that he couldn't even carry a piece of wood. I grew up doing carpentry and I carried lumber of all kinds, sometimes over significant distances. And if you're in that kind of work doing that, you can carry quite a bit of wood by yourself for a distance. I think especially back in those days where people were living very rough lives constantly and getting scourged as he as he was they there were a lot of people that died just from scourging so the fact that he survived scourging was marched up a hill and then hung on the cross he was he was pretty much done for at that point and the fact that he gives up the ghost at after a relatively short time of of being on the cross shorter than most people would normally be up there. Think of how merciful it would have been or how merciful it was that that he was not up on the cross for days and days on end. And if he had not been scourged, he might have had his legs broken like the the other two on the cross, which mercifully their time on the cross was also very short. They went in a horrible way having their legs broken. This is just absolutely horrific, the types of things that they did. So if you turn to Alma chapter 7 in the Book of Mormon, and you read verse 13, it says about Christ here, Now the Spirit knoweth all things. Nevertheless, the Son of God suffereth according to the flesh. It's a very interesting phrase here. Now the Spirit knoweth all things. Nevertheless, the Son of God suffereth according to the flesh. In the previous verse, we get this extra insight. It says, He'll take upon death, He'll take upon them their infirmities, that His bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that He may know, that He may know according to the flesh, how to succor His people according to their infirmities that he may know according to the flesh. Now the Spirit knoweth all things. Nevertheless, the Son of God suffereth according to the flesh. So it seems to indicate he could have known these things through the Spirit. Since the Spirit knoweth all things, he could have comprehended and understood and known deeply, but he wanted his bowels to be filled with mercy according to the flesh and he wanted to suffer according to the flesh so that he could know how to help us according to our own infirmities he did not want to be kept from the suffering he chose to experience it according to the flesh because you think about it jesus likely walked 
to and fro throughout the land, seeing people hanging on crosses. This was likely a very common sight. They were punishing criminals with this as examples to not do X, Y, or Z. You've got these people hanging there, ants are climbing up and getting on them. Birds are pecking their eyes out. People are rotting there. He sees this horrific suffering, all this suffering around him. And he allows it to come upon him, this horrific pain and suffering, because he wanted to know according to the flesh and, and experience this suffering, this intense suffering, so that he could help us, so that he can understand what we face and what we go through. And you can even go so far as to really ponder the fact that he says, my God, my God, why, why have you deserted me? Why have you forsaken me? And, and really think about that fact where you have Jesus, the son of God hanging on a cross, feeling deserted, feeling forsaken. And I felt that way in my life. And I've asked similar questions to God and without really receiving any answer in the moment or during the time. And I think that's a very real feeling that we all experience and we all feel. And, and to hear him say that, even though Jesus knew certain things, I, I think he was giving us a clue by saying this. But he's, he was saying multiple things at the same time. He was likely expressing the feelings of his heart at this time and just being vocal, feeling forsaken, maybe feeling deserted. But then also at the same time, remembering the words of Psalm 22 and still praising God, even in that situation. And if you know the words of Psalm 22, you'll see that it's uh, a psalm of praise. It deals with some very difficult issues, but it also lifts us up and fills us with hope. And I think that's embedded into what Jesus is saying there. I'm sure there's many more things that you could say about this particular verse of scripture in Mark and this particular event, but that's all I can think of right now. But I, I think it's so powerful just the example that Jesus is and just how incredible it is that we have these words and we know about these things and the strength that it gives to our lives. It's, it brings an immense power into your life just to, just to have knowledge of Jesus and to read about what he taught and what he did and and realize the power there is in that as we all go through our own sufferings and and we experience different things we also see that that there is somebody that understands us and is in a place to offer divine assistance and help and i know that is true and i'm very grateful for it so that's it for today's episode. I look forward to talking to you again here on the One Climbs podcast.